Good afternoon and welcome to Veterans Talk, The Forgotten Promise. This is Jim Littner along with R.J. Doe, Bob Zentz that does our Veterans Claim Corner. And we're fortunate to have Judge Mark Stevens with our Veterans Court on the air with us today. We're going to dedicate this show to the Veterans Court. And before we get started, we are a shortened show today. They're preempting us with a basketball game, so we're only 45 minutes today. Welcome to the show, Judge Stevens. Thank you very much, Jim, uh, for the opportunity to come and uh, visit you again. And Well, there's a lot that's happened over this past year with the courts. I know we went through a little turmoil here about a year ago. Now the legislation's in the works. Some things got passed. It seems like it's starting to smooth out. For our listening audience, tell us a little bit about the court, how it got started, and where you intend to take it. Well, we get started, uh, well, the very first Veterans Treatment Court started back in uh, 2008, and that was uh, Judge Russell at the Buffalo, uh, New York, uh, started the very first one. Uh, we started our Veterans Treatment Court in Henderson in uh, 2011, so we've been going for uh, seven years now. But it's a, uh, a specialty court, but it's different than uh, the ordinary specialty court, I think, in that we... Uh, are able to utilize mentors who are veterans who volunteer to help mentor these individuals in the program. And I think that's uh, one of the differences in, in Veterans Treatment Court versus any ordinary specialty court. And, and I think it also uh, impacts tremendously the uh, the success rate that uh, we're able to have. Uh, I think the camaraderie uh, with the uh, veterans, uh, the, the structure and discipline, it all ends up making the uh, system work. But we're dealing with veterans that are coming back with uh, PTSD and traumatic brain injuries, uh, drug and alcohol addiction, and other mental health issues uh, or mental health issues that uh, have gotten them into trouble. And then the other courts refer their veterans to our Veterans Treatment Court. Uh, and then uh, it's, a, it's a very intense program. Now the legislation, our program's always been a minimum of a year, but uh, it can be two years or more, depending on how they're doing in the program and proceeding. But it's very intense. It requires uh, sobriety and random drug and alcohol testing the entire time they're in the program. Every single night they have to call to see if they're tested the next morning. Um, but we have just a great team that makes it all work. Are enough being referred to the court? It's picked up since uh, it, since the change in the legislation. Um, they had some great support in getting some changes in the legislation. Came a point in time where the prosecution wasn't um, allowing domestic batteries and DUI cases into the program uh, because of some legal issues, and uh, so that has been changed so that they can now. Uh, allow them in the program and I can bring them in the program. Uh, they're still the gatekeeper with regard to acts of violence, whether they should be in the program. Um, but other than that, they, they at least can allow them in the program and have been at a much higher rate now. During that time period, a year and a half or so ago, the Veterans Treatment Court shrank in size substantially. I mean, at a high, we were at 55 people, which is an awful lot of people in a specialty court, uh, especially with uh, high-risk, high-needs individuals. Um, but then we dropped way down, and now we're back uh, not up to that level, which is great with me. Uh, you know, 
I, I just want everybody that needs it to have that opportunity, far more getting that opportunity now. Well, out of 100, I believe the numbers were 133 veterans that have gone through that court, only six have reoffended. That's unheard of. Yeah, it's, the the last number I knew it was 129 graduates, and uh, we've had six reoffend. I, I think the statistics uh, I've been told uh, with a high risk, high need type individuals, which certainly these veterans with PTSD and other issues are in that category. Um, normally, about 70 percent reoffend, and so obviously we're less than five percent. Uh, now, there's certainly individuals that just don't graduate from the program that fail out uh, of the program, and they end up with a conviction on their record for whatever offense it is. Um, but we certainly uh, have been amazed at the the success rate, uh, especially with individuals that may have been addicted to meth for 15 years and have severe PTSD and traumatic brain injuries, and and uh, seeing the difference from day one to when they graduate, it's its amazing. Um, we sometimes put up pictures of them when they are uh, first in the program and then when they graduate, and it's night and day. And usually, you know, I, I think uh, my role as a judge in the Veterans Treatment Court is a little different than what uh, your, your normal role is in court, that's for sure. I think it's about one-third uh, being a judge, about one-third being a company commander, and maybe about one-third being a, a father figure, even though some of these individuals are substantially older than I am. Uh, speaking of which, I think we've had individuals from, and we've got one in now, I think 82 on down to being young uh, veterans, and then we've had everything from brigadier generals on down, uh, male, female, just about every uh, spectrum, uh, and I think it makes it more interesting in the program too when we have, uh, but it just also shows it. it's not an enlisted thing or an officer thing, it's it's a veteran thing where they've had difficulties. And well, There's no question that the makeup of that judge that runs that specialty court, there has to be a special meaning there. You have to have the right background, the right heart. I don't think just any judge would come and sit in on that. I, I've been to your court. I've watched what you do. I've watched the collaboration between the prosecutor and the defense attorneys. It's not a typical court, and people really do need to go watch that. I believe it's, what, every Thursday? Every Thursday at 2 o'clock, and it's open to the public. Anybody right. can come in there. Go watch that. I mean, I've had people over the years ask us since we've been doing the show and certainly a supporter of the Veterans Court, uh, well, why should a veteran get any special break? Well, that aggravates me for to even ask that question, but they have a right to ask. Why should they get that break? Well, they've served us. And what's happened during their service has caused a lot of the problems that got them into trouble when they got released. So they need that break. And if the people really want to change their lives, they have that opportunity. Uh, not a cakewalk there. Uh, I, I've seen that court. I've watched you work with these people. And they have to want to get the help. They do. And, and it is a treatment court. You know, I've certainly... And, I don't hear it much anymore, especially the attorneys and everybody sees what it's all about. But it's far more intense than 
if they just accepted the punishment, and, and, and a lot of these individuals have prior records, so it's not as if because this case might get dismissed if they make it through the program that it impacts their record. It's something that they have to want to do. They, they do probably 10 times as much right. if they're in veterans treatment court than they would if they were just in a regular court. And quite frankly, they end up doing, some of them end up doing more jail time in the veterans treatment court because of sanctions that are imposed when they're not successful. Uh, and so it's far the thing from the truth that it's a, a free ride or, or some easy, uh, in fact, most of them, the first three months or so, maybe kind of like uh, they hate their drill instructor, they, they, they tend to, to not like me much uh, because we hold them accountable. And, you know, the other veterans expect us to hold them accountable. I mean, if, if they're not making it, they need to be held accountable. Um, and, and even the mentors, uh, they, they all expect that we hold them accountable, and, and, and we have to. But I think... Th one of the big reasons it works so well is we have three fantastic defense attorneys who uh, volunteer their time. They're veterans who volunteer their time to, to help these individuals in the program. And, and right now we're assigning on every veteran in the program, we assign two mentors, one experienced one and one newer one. We have new ones that still haven't gotten their first uh, mentee yet uh, to, in the program. Um, initially it was, it was difficult because you had to try to encourage individuals to become mentors now it just seems like they show up because uh, of other mentors bringing them in and they're just wonderful uh, the, the support we get uh, from those mentors i, I want to give a little shout out to the very first person that that really kind of started this program was uh phil dunleavy he was he's a, a navy vietnam veteran who was a defense attorney. Um, he wasn't in my court, but he came to me one day and said, hey, I think we should start a veterans treatment court. I know you're a veteran in, in the Marines, and I think you should be the judge. And he's really the one that came to me and presented it. And a couple of days later, we had our first two people in the program. And then Bob, uh, Mr. Zentz at that time, uh, volunteered to, to be the prosecutor in the case, or in all these cases. And he started it from the uh, prosecution standpoint. And, and so the three of us got it started and I wouldn't say we knew what we were doing initially uh, but we uh, certainly uh, learned uh, quickly uh, what needed to be done and, and uh, continue to improve the program and some of the things we do now is we've, because the governor has, has given some more money to specialty courts we, we get grant money now that helps a great deal because it's expensive uh, you know with the, the testing all the time and, and even you know I order them to, to go get you know, they might be doing counseling uh, three, four times a week. And so even the, just the bus passes, which RTC gives us for half price, but the bus passes, different things, it really adds up in, in uh, funds. And so having the grant money has been great, but we also have a, a nonprofit that picks up expenses as well. Very grateful for that, too. So those are some of the things that uh, over time we've being able to uh, improve uh, and uh, make it easier. Because the last thing we want is any veterans that really need the program, that can't afford the testing or whatever it might be, uh, the bus passes. And so it's, it's important that everybody's afforded that opportunity, whether uh, they have any income or any significant income or not. And for our listening audience, we are on live broadcasting from Veterans Transition Resource Center in Las Vegas. 
Give us a call with questions or comments, 702-257-5396. Again, 702-257-5396. We're out of the Clark County, Las Vegas area. 800-414-1056. Now, yeah. Judge Stevens, as a veteran, am I automatically eligible to be in veterans court? Okay, for veterans court, uh, yeah, obviously you could be in active duty as well, veteran or uh, someone that's in active duty. We look at their uh, service and, and whether this, there's some connection to the problems they're having now, and in uh, their service is it somewhat is it service related? So we look at their career. You know, if they just served one month in boot camp and then were released, uh, they're not uh, going to be in the program. But generally, they have honorable or general discharges. We do accept other than honorable discharges, which are still uh, administrative discharges, not punitive. We, it's just uh, it's harder for us to get treatment because we can't get the VA treatment and all those. Now, if they're combat, then we can send them to vet center, so that works as well. And also, now, uh, recently, they're eligible for mental health treatment at the VA as well. Now, with regard to bad conduct discharges and dishonorable discharges, we haven't had anybody in the program yet with those discharges. However, they're not automatically excluded. We look to see what led to that discharge. Was it PTSD related? Uh, you know, those kind of things to see whether they still might or should be eligible. So uh, we don't have a, you know, a, a black line rule where we say no, they can't be in, but it's unlikely that they'd be allowed in. With regard to the nature of the charge, if it's an act of violence, then the prosecution's still the gatekeeper. So even though they're a veteran, if it's an act of violence, then ultimately the prosecution has the ability to say, no, we're not letting them in if they choose to not let them in. But we're finding that most of those, if, if the victim wants them in the program, most of them uh, the prosecutor will let in, I, I'd say. But we have a rule where if there's a victim involved, the victim has to want them in the program and think they'd benefit from it as well. And that's for the integrity of the program. We want to, you know, victims have rights as well. And, and so if the victim is opposed to it, then we haven't allowed them into the program, even though sometimes it's a harsh result and, and it, we think they might benefit from it. But we started that from the beginning, that if the victim didn't want them in the program, then they weren't allowed in. That's uh, because we want organizations uh, for domestic battery and stop DUI and, and to support the program because we're not going to let them in unless uh, the victim wants them in, but we're also making a difference. And we invite organizations to come and see the results. And I think that's why we get such unanimous support down here with the uh, Stop DUI, Mothers Against Drunk Driving, and, and victim advo uh, domestic battery victim advocate groups because they see that it's actually making a difference. It's not just incarcerating them, and then they're back to doing the same thing. Uh, it's trying to fix the problem. You know, of the 460-plus veterans courts we have across the country, are we pretty much all along those same guidelines that you just described? 
You know, it's it's very different because every state, uh, the criminal justice system is different. So they are different, but there are some certain best practices that we know make them more successful, such as having mentors, frequent status checks, um, the uh, the trust, uh, the uh, testing, the random drug and alcohol testing. Um, so there's certain things that we know make it more successful, and that's what we try to incorporate in, in our program. How many, as a percentage, would you say are homeless? And homeless is a interesting question because you just think of them, but sometimes they're couch surfing. Uh, so I don't know, Bob, what do, what do you think uh, as a percentage? Maybe... Ten, maybe? Yeah, maybe only about 10% are truly homeless. Now, there's certainly individuals that are ready to be uh, kicked out of their their apartments uh, or their uh, families had enough of them uh, in in the way they're living or their friends, and, and so they're out of options. When we first started, we had a lot more homeless, quite frankly. And, and I think it was individuals that never gotten the opportunity to be in a program and, and, and in a treatment program and get on their feet. So we had a lot more that were at U.S. Vets and Veterans Village. Um, but it's been a while since we've really had that issue. And, and there's other organizations now that are also helping them to get uh, Hope Link in, in Henderson there helps uh, for temporarily right. paying for maybe a month or two of lodging of the the house or, or the apartment and, and electric bills and stuff. So we're getting more help that way and fewer that are what you'd classify as truly homeless. Yeah, we are working with the uh, Veterans Transition Resource Center is working with the Klein Group. Klein Group has emergency funds, distressed funds as well. And uh, those are people that are borderline getting evicted or just in the process. And we find out a lot of domestic abuse problems within that. They have PTSD. They've transitioned out. A lot of problems there. And they end up in trouble. Look, you say sometimes it's they're not truly homeless. But, I mean, we had an individual. I don't think he had water for six years. Uh, he, he would get water from the neighbors, uh, um, and he didn't think that was any big deal. But I think for most of us, not having water and running water in the house is a, a pretty big deal. But he wasn't truly homeless, and he wasn't even dissatisfied with it necessarily. But those are things we work towards, too. Uh, that's one of our goals, too, is, is the stability all the way around, not just their mental health stability or their drug or alcohol Issues. It's sometimes even re- reuniting them with their families and getting stable financially as well. Uh, that might mean you know, getting them a job or, or uh, getting them some of the benefits that they're due. So those are all things while they're in the program that we work towards as well. Well, we think uh, at least at Veterans Transition Resource Center from, from homelessness to a job uh, to housing, uh, financial literacy plays a big part in that, and we do have courses on financial literacy now. And, of course, we have the advocates here, Marty and Gary and, and the group that helps file for benefits. But there's a whole host of programs that that we have available or we have collaborative partners that will help. Uh, again, filing a winning claim, what Bob and Travis do coming on the show, the educational part of our VTRC.TV, uh, a lot of things going on. I don't think 
we're doing the best job we can on educating. We need to really work at try to get the word out more and more. And when you come on the show, we always get comments back. Wow, I didn't know that, or I didn't know this. It's one thing to hear about the Veterans Court. It's quite another thing to really understand how it works. One of the things that we learned early on with regard to veterans is some of them don't even self-identify themselves as veterans. Oh, I wasn't in combat or I wasn't wounded. or And so even how we've tried to capture them, and that's a bad term, but capture them in the sense of, of uh, identifying them early on to get them in the program. Like we've put up signs on every courtroom when you enter, it says, if you were ever in the military or you're currently in the military, make sure you let your defense attorney know and the judge know. That's also in the jail uh, when they're being booked, there's a sign. So it doesn't say if you're a veteran, let the judge know. It says if you're in the military or you have ever been in the military, let the judge know. Um, because some just simply won't identify themselves as a veteran. Uh, so they definitely aren't getting benefits, uh, you know, and knowledgeable about it because they're not even self-identifying them. Uh, as a veteran. You know, an example of that, uh, a number of months ago after we had moved into this facility, uh, some people came in that do a uh, cookout at Sunset Park once a month for first responders, uh, homeless veterans, and that's L&S Air Conditioning and Heating. Uh, Leo, the owner of that, is a Vietnam veteran and did not know about the benefits available, Agent Orange, passing it on to our kids. So it's just amazing to me, the people that are actually in the veteran community. Again, L&S does a wonderful job with, with their barbecues once a month and cookouts once a month, but didn't know the rest of the things that could be available to these veterans. And since they've become a sponsor of the show, normally Rob Crone is on the show with us. They run specials for first responders and veterans. For twenty nine ninety five. they'll come out and do a complete assessment of your home, your air conditioning, your heating. If you think there's a scam or something going on, we did a show last week on scams, uh, how, many, how much money it costs this country in scams to our veterans and our elderly. So Rob and that group will advise them if there's something that's, that's not quite right. But it's amazing to me the people that we have ran across that really don't know, and they're actually in the veteran community. So... We're not doing a good job of getting the word out. And I've seen, and, and some individuals, we had an individual in the program, and have had individuals in the program that were true war heroes, but because they felt bad or guilty about things, wouldn't accept help. Um, and charity, you, they think it's charity. Yes, and well, We've had individuals even say it was blood money, and I'm right. I'm not going to accept any of that. And, and very difficult changing that mindset and um, on some of those individuals. And don't you think, Bob? It's, it, we've had those issues, and it's been difficult. Yeah, it's it, that is a uh, big challenge, especially uh, well, the one that pops into my head is uh, nearly homeless. Would you say? Oh yeah, and. Um, he refused to accept the veteran's pension. He wouldn't refuse to go down and be evaluated for a uh, disability claim and uh, tried to get him as much information as possible. 
but he was opposed to it because of what took place when he was in Vietnam. Well, I, I work uh, more with the Vietnam veterans. Uh, as a Vietnam veteran, I work more with that group here than, than most. And it's a heartbreaker. When, when we hear about the suicide rate in our veteran community, it's, they say 22 a month. It's actually double that. Uh, both uh, RJ and I are instructors for the Safe Talk course and assist. We do uh, the Safe Talk course once a month here. And dealing with, and I think you said twenty-two a month. I think it's twenty-two a day. A day, a day excuse yeah, me. You're correct. I'm. Um, that's it, correct. It, twenty-two a day. Of, yeah. It's more. It's double that, really. Yeah. But in dealing with those older veterans, most of those suicides are Vietnam veterans. The older veterans, some Korean veterans, because they're older, the way they were treated when they came home. Uh, most are just dying in silence. They don't know they have benefits, and they do. And we're dealing with some Korean veterans right now that are now coming in that are sick. They had Agent Orange in, uh, in Korea as well. So it breaks your heart to see these people that have these benefits. They earned those benefits. It's certainly not charity or blood money. They've earned those, and they have a right to those. Now, we catch a few that scam the system as well, but most are legitimate. And I just think that we can do so much better on trying to get the word out to these people. Survivors' benefits is another one. We get two to three widows every week through here. Their spouse is passed on, and they don't have a clue what they have coming. Burial benefits, uh, a DIC, I mean, there's a whole host of services still available. So we're not doing a great job with that either. So all that we can do to get together and do shows like this, come and support your court your 501c3 that helps raise money to support that. We need to do it. And I think people are generous in this town. They, they, just, they just need to know what to do. It's uh, constant information, getting that information out there uh, and the uh, knowledge of what's available, how to get it, and, uh, and what the qualifications are. And so we, we need to continue to work on that because uh, it, it's, it's really sad when you have someone that's homeless that was a, a war hero that isn't uh, getting taken care of. Uh, it's, it's just a travesty. Well, we could do a lot better job in a lot of areas, and we talk about it on the show all the time. Uh, several weeks ago, we, we talked about, when we are talking about scams and veterans, we also talked about our active uh, military. Twenty-five percent of our active military seek food aid. What is wrong with this picture? I, I think we can do, and, and we don't get into politics on this show, nor will we ever get into politics. That's not our job. Our job is veterans' issues and their families. But when I hear of things, and I keep bringing that up, I get some criticism over it, about a $17 million hush fund in Washington, and all of a sudden you don't hear anything else about that. But we can't take care of our veterans and their families. Ooh, we got a problem. And we need to start getting up and telling the public of what these problems are with our veterans' courts and our homelessness and all the rest of this, because the public will, if they know, make the changes necessary, I believe. I just think so much of it's being put aside because it's not pleasant. Military sexual trauma, I know you've had some through your court, Judge Stevens. That's a heartbreaker. It's definitely a heartbreaker. And 
with regard to that, one of the things we learned fairly early on is, you know, we have mentors. Uh, we've went ahead and, and separated. We have a female mentor coordinator and we have a, a male mentor coordinator because many of the individuals, the female individuals that are in the program, even if they didn't experience the uh, sexual trauma, it's very likely that they had at least uh, sexual harassment and, and difficulties in, in that. And that's a sad thing to say, but I think it's just being honest about most or, or many of the ones at least that we're getting in the program have that experience. So we don't want it to, to be, and it isn't, a boys club. It's a veterans uh, treatment uh, court. And so we, we got to make sure, and that's why we've separated those things so that there's not that concern, um, f you know, when they enter the program. And I think that's helped us get uh, more females into the program as well. We were just saying, why are, are so many of the females being offered the program and not taking it? And so we uh, brainstormed, and, and that's when we decided to have separate uh, mentor coordinator for the female mentors versus the males and so we have to keep those things in mind uh, those are all things i guess we learned through a little trial and error um, but i think uh, it, it's certainly uh, advantageous and, and i think uh, we've seen far more females i mean not as a percentage uh, there's still a smaller percentage than, than the males that are in the program but uh, they're they're accepting the program they're getting in the program and doing well in the program and and that's what we were looking for. I think most of the time, the civilian population does not think of our females as veterans. Uh, I was standing behind a, a lady here a couple of years ago out at the VA hospital, and the clerk made a mistake to say, uh, what is it that you would like to do for your husband? And it took her about three seconds to straighten that person out. <laughs> but that is the perception. I mean, when you think about, you just don't think about our women being veterans. And I'm telling you, in a big way, they're veterans. Well, and they're not just back in the rear anymore. No, um, that's right. In the front lines, and that's they're right. far more involved and will continue to be uh, yes. far more involved and, and experience far more of those situations with PTSD and um, traumatic brain injuries uh, right. as well, and drug and alcohol addiction. And the suicide rate is three times higher wow. in the veteran, uh, female veterans compared to the males. So those are all things that we need to really pay attention to and talk about. And again, we talk about military sexual trauma and suicide, and those aren't warm, fuzzy things people like to talk about. But if we don't bring those up and educate, we can't change it. Well, and it's not just the uh, female veterans either. That's right. it, it, and I, I think it's very difficult for a male veteran to acknowledge those things. And so, yeah, it's. Uh, well, I, I think when, when I was in back in the 60s, I'm dating myself now, but when we went in, we were taught to suck it up and move on. So were you. Well, we didn't ask for the help, we held it tight to the vest. There's nothing wrong with asking for help. And that's no different than getting into the veterans' court. If you want to change your life, you really want to do it, you can do it. There's help there. It's absolutely been amazing. I mean, some 
It's been interesting when we're making the decision to let somebody in the program or whether they should be uh, in the program. There's been times when I think I was the only one that said, yes, I think they should be in uh, because it's like, oh, they've got a you know a record, you know, 50 pages long and uh, they've been addicted for 20 years. They're not going to make it in the program. And that's what makes it all worthwhile is when you have individuals that you realistically gave them about a 5% chance to make it. And when they make it through and the pride that they have and the pride that we all have, I mean, it's, it's such a, a, um, heartwarming experience when you see graduation and you've got an individuals like that, an extreme case that nobody thought was going to make it through. Um, and, and they graduate and, and then they come back a year later to, to see us or uh, two years later. Some of them become mentors after they, they have to have been out of the program at least a year and doing well. And then they can become mentors themselves. And we have a number of them that are mentors now. But uh, those are by far the most rewarding, by far the most difficult and, and, and challenging along the way. Um, and it's interesting, too, the ones that fail out, it's usually they give up. They've decided that they just can't do it. Um, most of them have made substantial changes in their life and are far better off than when they started the program. But some of them just will give up. And once they've given up, uh, then it's pretty much that that's when they're terminated from the program and they have the, the conviction. But it's usually not the court that terminates them. They usually are self-terminating because they are not willing to to do it anymore. Judge Stevens, earlier you said that this is a life-changing program, but it actually goes beyond that because why the veteran is in veterans court, the charges, they get sealed or to get thrown out or whatever. What happens with the actual charges when they complete the program? Some There has been a little change since well, the legislature um, when they uh, allowed uh, the uh, veterans to be in the program with domestic batteries and DUIs. The thing that changed this legislative session by allowing them in, the case is only conditionally dismissed. What that means is if they were to pick up another DUI within seven years, that could still be used to enhance even though it was conditionally dismissed. And we're down to our last minute. As I announced earlier, we are being uh, cut short today because of a basketball game that will be starting. But I wanted to thank our sponsors, uh, Travis Barrick uh, with the law firm McGillian, Welker, and Beckstrom, and Bob Zintz that does our Veterans Claim Corner. You can contact them at 702-892-3500 for Travis, 702-800-3190 for Bob Zintz. Also, LNS Air Conditioning and Heating. I mentioned earlier they're a sponsor. If you need anything with your air conditioning heating system, give them a call at 702-566-1437. And as always, uh, a big thank you to LJ Harness and that whole group, uh, our VTR supporter Jim and Susie Hill. We have our uh, pig out coming up the end of March, March 31st. At that, have a great week. See you next week at the same time. <laughs>